Jumping Jehoshaphat. Hello there. You're listening to the Out of the Broom Cupboard podcast with me, Chris Yonko Johnson. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day, your week, your month, or even your year to uh, tune into this little bit of nonsense. Uh, if you are new to the show and you're joining with this first episode, hi, I'm the guy who does the talking and the question asking. But basically, it's me sitting down with presenters, producers, puppeteers, etc. from the world of kids TV to discuss how we ended up in that sphere, that very unusual, seemingly impenetrable force field uh, between the real world and talking nonsense between episodes of Tracy Beaker. Uh, so this week we are joined by modern kids TV legend Ed Petrie, uh, known for Nickelodeon, CBBC, shows such as Ed Nacho's Excellent Inventions, Transmission Impossible, All Over the Place, and the subsequent following series, Marrying Mum and Dad. I got to co-present with Ed when I first joined CBBC in 2010, and I was intimidated as all heck, mostly because... Ed is so good at what he does that I was worried that I was going to sort of be a blemish on on the Ed and Outcho legacy, but also because I'd replaced Outcho essentially. So, uh, you know, there was, there was I could imagine people being annoyed about that. We talk about that a little bit in this episode. We also talk about the upcoming Ed and Outcho specials that are coming to YouTube later in the year. So, if you want to know more, stay tuned. Ed will discuss them later in the episode. Speaking of Outcho, for those who don't know, uh, and if you're on the Patreon, you found out before anyone else patreon.com slash ootbc next month's episode about the broom cupboard the september episode will be with warwick brownlow pike the incredibly talented puppeteer beneath slash behind such characters as joby on get well soon uh he played um outcho of course with ed outcho dodge the dog for cbbc and cbbc he is marion the puppeteer for marion on mongrels one of my favorite um uh, sort of lost shows which is wonderful. If you, if you are of the age to watch something sort of sick, dark and inappropriate featuring adorable puppets, go seek out Mongrels and you can see some of Warwick's work on that. But the Warwick episode is already recorded. However, if you want to get exclusive video content from that episode, and of course from the Ed episode as well, become a top tier patron on patreon.com slash OOTBC. There's a bunch of video stuff that gets sprinkled out throughout the month. Of course, if you're a patron, you're on the Discord as well, which means you can chat with me and others. You can send questions in for the guests. You find out who the guests are before everybody else. All sorts of perks, plus an exclusive signed gift from myself. But enough rambling from this gentleman. It's time for this gentleman to ramble to another gentleman who will give you what you want. Here it is. It's Out of the Broom Cupboard, Episode 3, with my guest, Edward Oliver James Petrie. and hot out here and people are dying. Anyway, back to you. You just get on with it, don't you? <laughs> We're in a bloody rat temple with Veruca socks on. God, it was that day, wasn't it? Yeah, where we had a suitcase with poison symbols on it as part of a joke yeah. that we then realised, oh, no one's, no one's cleared this. No one's let people here know that that's what we're going to do. Yeah. To these sacred rats. Pretend anyway? to poison them. We did it anyway, but no, we, like, we, got, we got that bit in one shot. It was like a close of the bag. Um, it's amazing what you can get away with. <laughs> like when you just think no one's no one's looking for a second, we'll do it anyway. See what happens. Uh, speaking of things you can get away with, we've already started. By the way, oh, is it? Oh, you sneaky man. Yeah, I'm a sneaky sneaky man in many ways. Don't worry, I will edit out the bit where you said 
expletives and I don't, I don't know. Did your impression? Of I don't ever swear. I'm a children's TV presenter. <laughs> you know me. Oh, that's the first live of the podcast. <laughs> Welcome everybody to Out the Broom Cupboard. Yada yada yada. Me at the beginning gave you the intro and told you all the business. Forget all that. I'm sat down with a lovely man. Uh, and a lovely woman, and a lovely whatever he puts his mind to, to be honest. Um, somebody who I, I have a lot of time for, even if he, he would rather be have that time elsewhere. Um, <laughs> Mr. Ed, uh, what was your middle name on TV? Well, I think it was my actual middle name, wasn't it? Edward Oliver James Petrie. I'm sure we gave you another one at some point. Did we? Yeah. I see you, you You remember this stuff better than me. I see, well, that's because I'm a problem child. Yes, I remember, in so many ways. I remember pointless things. Ed Petrie, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Hello, sir. Welcome to your own house. Yes. Thank you for having me, by the way. It's lovely. It is lovely. It's a lovely It's a lovely house. I, Me and my wife talk about this constantly. We get flat envy still, because we property searched for so long, several times over the last few years. This isn't a flat, Christopher. No, it's I know. A, it's a house. But we, <laughs> it's a very nice house. But we call it we call it flat envy because just it was the ground up term for every time I enter a place I sort of go, oh I do that and oh that looks great and that's yeah. good oh I want to live here. Isn't that just being human though? Is it just yeah just continually frustrated and jealous <laughs> of everything and everyone? <laughs> well, I don't know the amount of hotels you must have stayed in over the last ten years alone for making TV shows. I doubt you're walking into those suites and going, oh I'd love to live here. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to live in this. I dream of hotels now. I just like all my all my <laughs> dreams at the moment seem to be me walking down hotel corridors and my subconscious either, either hotel <laughs> corridors or modes of transport. My subconscious is just so confused about what's been going on the last 10 12 years. How many how many days a year out of the year if you could condense all that travel time together would you say you would spend travelling? Oh. Well, the thing was even on the filming days we were travelling either end. Like mm. when we were filming in America we could do Three or four hours of travel at the start of the day and three or four at the end. You went like um, across a bunch of states at one point, didn't you? Like just full on driving and driving yeah, and yeah. driving. Those states we went through and never even got out of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did like 18 states altogether. Look, everybody, there's Minnesota. Give it a wave and we're off. Yeah, oh, that was lovely. That was nice. I tell people I went to 18 states, so I didn't really. So like we drove through at least seven of them. Well, forget America. For now, yeah. we'll get back to it. Forget all those other places. Young Edward Oliver James Petrie, where were you born, sir? Rustington on Sea, as you probably remember. I do, yeah. I do actually. <laughs> In fact, now you've said that, it's like unlocked a Pandora's box of stories and because I like the name Rustington on Sea, and I was actually born in the maternity hospital. It's been closed. It's actually been turned into an old people's home now, so I could also die there as well. <laughs> should be good. Most people who move to Rustington Sea do die there. <laughs> So you can bookend your own story. Yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, it's, it's just a funny name, isn't it? Rustin's on sea. He died the way he lived originally. Here, this room. Yes. Funnily enough. <laughs> um, so Rustington on sea, whereabouts is that, UK-wise? Sussex. Uh, you know I'm terrible at geography, so point it on an imaginary The south. Map. The That'll south. Do. That'll do. Boy. That'll do. It's on the channel. It's, yeah, it's a retirement village. Or it used to be a retirement village. There's some younger people around now, but it was a really boring place to grow up. But you're you've been a London boy for most of your life, though, right? I moved up here in 1996. Yeah, baby. Um, was it shortly before or shortly after you'd started doing comedy? Uh, well, no, that was when I went to uni. Uh, got into I did something resembling stand up on my drama course <laughs> at Goldsmith, and uh, and then I I used to go to the Up the Creek Comedy Club in Greenwich and look yeah. at them and go, oh, they're funny, and that looks absolutely terrifying because there'd be all these 
blokes who look like they used to work in dockyards shouting at all the acts and making them have nervous breakdowns. Yeah, that sounds like comedy clubs, all right. So it took me probably three years to pluck up the courage to do a comedy course. I think I was 22, 23 when I did that. So you sort one out? There was Yeah, it was, in the, it was in Time Out magazine, which was a big deal before the internet really kicked off. And For our youngest listeners, he's talking about magazines. It was made from paper. Yeah. You put it through your door. <laughs> it was a monthly internet. And anyone who knew what... Anyone who was anything in London used to get Time Out because that was, it had fantastic listings for everything. And yeah, there was an advert. For, they had a really good comedy section, and there was an advert for a comedy course at this comedy club called the Indian Moose, run by an amazing guy called Logan Murray, who still does comedy courses. Uh, anyway, so it was his very first course, and the people who signed up for that first course, there was a whole bunch of us basically who'd been sitting around waiting for something like that to come along. And um, so on my course, there was Greg Davies, Rob Gilbert, uh, guy called Alexis Dubus, who does a ca- French character called Marcel Lecon now. Um, I was going to say that Steve Hall, actually. who went on set up We Are Clang with Greg Davies. And I think the second or third course, Marriott Larwood, who does celebrity with Ian. Yeah, so, so, uh, so a complete bingo card of We Are Clang then. Yeah, 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 that's how they <laughs> met, yeah. And I did my first Edinburgh show about a year or two later with uh, Greg and Rod and Steve. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was. I was very lucky that I saw that advert. Really, so rewind from there a little bit. You so you, you said you had done the sort of stand up as part of uh, drama. I'm assuming that like performing arts. Yeah, so you, were already, you were already board treading or studying to board tread. Oh yeah, I was incredibly precocious child <laughs> <laughs> when I was a. Uh, so, uh, like like Warwick, who I did out show with, actually, we were both obsessed with the Muppet movie. So in the Muppet movie, uh, Kermit the Frog and his friends want to go to, go to Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> That's a terrible Kermit the Frog impression. I want to go to Hollywood and make millions of people happy. That's better. Yeah. I'm not sure what the first one no, was. No, I don't know who that was. <laughs> was Kermit the Toad. Fuzzy stunt double. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can so, do a slide, can't you, Fuzzy? <laughs> <laughs> waka waka. <laughs> mm, sure. Uh, yeah, so I... I wanted to uh, I wanted to go to Hollywood and make millions of people happy at the age of six. So my <laughs> mum got me um, got me some drama lessons and I used to go to drama club and stuff. Uh, and then you know, it was just it was just drama, drama, drama from then on. But as I as I got older, I realised when I when I was at uni, I was studying lots of stuff like Brecht and very serious stuff, and all the stuff that I liked was all the dissing about. <laughs> so every time they were like, right, right, about? Can, you can you can say if you want, I beat it. You oh. can say as much as you want. Tip out. <laughs> More work for me, thanks. Um, Messing around. That's the one. Oh. Yeah, like, yeah. Like so, a tit. And then, then there was a uh, another another advert, actually. I saw <laughs> an advert up on the walls at uh, Goldsmiths for a Commedia dell'arte course in France. In France? Yeah. So I went okay. To, yeah, you went and lived You don't get there. more French than Commedia dell'arte in France. Well, Commedia dell'arte is Italian street theatre, so True, you can get more but French. But it sounds now. French. <laughs> Do you know what's weird? I did two years performing arts. I don't at one point remember anyone saying that it was Italian. Oh, there you go. So even it. now I'm learning something. It's actually the origin of uh, stand-up comedy, but also pantomime as well. Yeah. And musical. Yeah, pantomime is sort of the most, I guess, closest form of it today, yeah. really, isn't it? Which is also something I love doing as well. Um, Which we can talk about later. Tickets on sale. Yes, um, yes. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I did that course, which was like on in a farm in... France, run by this slightly boozy English guy who was who moved out there with his wife, and uh, yeah, and, and I found that I quite liked doing the characters who were like stand-up comedian mm-hmm. character type characters, the ones who sort of come out and, 
whinge about stuff. Just stand there and give them monologues. So that's what got me thinking about it. Because people kept going like, oh, you're quite good at that. I was rubbish all the other bits. <laughs> but that bit, coming out and being pompous and marching around. So you're going to do some comedy of the absurd. And you're like, can I just shout some things? Yeah. Can I just shout in a silly voice? Can I be John Cleese, essentially? Basically, yeah. 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 <laughs> in terms of a comedy performer. Can I be John Cleese, the comedy actor? That's about it, really. Um, not John Cleese, the 45 alimonies. Side. That's not yeah, something no one wants to be that John Cleese, do they? No. <laughs> Can I be the one, the the one whose knees work? Yeah. <laughs> I want to be that one. <laughs> Can I be the angry on-screen one? Yeah. <laughs> not the angry IRL one. So the, the performing bug is definitely there. Was it was it theatre for you when you were younger? Like, or was it specifically because of you know Kermit and Pals? Did you want movies? Was it film? What 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 did Tiny Ed want to do? Well, no, Tiny Ed wanted to to do what I do now, really. But you know, when you're doing drama, they keep trying to make you do serious stuff all the time. Mm, what yeah. I was really, what I used to really look forward to was this the stupid comic stuff. I didn't really, I didn't really enjoy, you know, wailing about the fact that I'd been having an affair with someone who wasn't my wife or. <laughs> Or getting to GCSE level and putting on a white mask whilst yeah. Massive Attack plays in All the background. Yeah. Weirdly, I feel more <laughs> silly doing that than I do, you know, dressing up in a bra and pants and jumping around going, oh, look at me. I feel less silly doing that than trying to be serious. Do you think it's, you, as far as performing goes then and coming from that perspective, do you think what you gravitate more towards then is creating stories, creating characters, making people feel something nice as opposed to just dragging through that process of oh it gets it becomes boring to you once it becomes too technical and dull or stressful i don't know chris i just like tissing about <laughs> sorry messing around <laughs> that's four um mental notes you're probably writing these down yeah. never mind but i mean it's interesting you say because i was, I was kind of like that once i got into performing arts a little bit toward the end of high school and i realized oh i enjoy this and i want to do more of this Instead of being a, a a graphic designer, which is what I wanted to do. Originally. No, I was the opposite. You were the other way around. No, I yeah, I finished university and I'd spent so many years like acting and you know I did drama GCC, theatre studies, drama degree. When I got to the end, I was like, oh, I have to. I don't know whether I want to do this or not anymore. I, I don't know whether I'm just doing this because it's what I've always done. Mm. So I actually I had a year off and then I got a job as a TV runner in documentaries and I, I thought I thought oh there'd be more jobs and less risk behind the camera so I did that for about two or three years um, I worked my way up to be a researcher and I just spent the whole time being jealous of all the people in front of the camera messing about because and then I, yeah, I got a job after that at talk back this comedy um comedy company and that was amazing because I was the runner and I was doing all the tapes of stuff like they were making like Alan Partridge at the time and uh, Ali G and all that stuff and those guys were like in and out of the office. So the early days of what became Baby Cow later on and such. The, yeah, that, I, think that kind were, of era. I think he was just setting up Baby Cow at that time. Um, it was the last series of of, of I'm Alan Partridge that they were making. Of uh, the caravan year. Yeah, I actually worked <laughs> as a, like, I helped set up cameras for them mm. in their rehearsal rooms and stuff like that, you know. And I'd go into their office and I'd sneak around and have a look at their brainstorm wall and... <laughs> I even took my brother in there. My brother's now a comedy executive at Channel Four. I used to like, I used to feed his comedy bug as well. We could like go sneaking around the office when there was no one around. I'd show him all the that's Steve Coogan's seat. <laughs> Sniff it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Um, 
Gross. Uh, so again, like it, it's it's something that was inside you that it took it took being in the environment of it happening to other people for you to go. Oh, actually, yeah. And I started doing stand. That's when I started. I started doing the course while I was at Talkback, and um, and then and then I was working as a researcher. And they think it's all over. You know, the sports quiz. Thoroughly unsuited here because I know nothing about sport. <laughs> And uh, and I very confidently gave up my job just to do stand-up comedy, even though I was only probably bringing home about fifty quid a week. Um, so and this I, is whilst living in London. Yeah. So you so were, instantly, you, I'm, instantly, I'm down the job centre. <laughs> <laughs> Within three weeks, I was penniless. It's like, oh god, what have I done? I've quit a really good job in television, and I'm virtually homeless. So I was on job seekers allowance, handing out flyers in railway stations, doing comedy in the evening, thinking, oh god. I've really got to make this work. So that's what th- made me do. Three weeks ago, that optimism was so different. Oh, it goes Three so weeks far. ago, I was like, this is going to be great. Well, I've saved up £700. I'll be fine. Um, <laughs> and then the, the first food shop to get some bread comes in. And you're like, oh. Oh, I've only got half that left. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, so that was terrifying. Uh, that's, that, that's why I did Edinburgh with, with Greg and Rod and everyone. We did a show called Three Men and a Giant, a little four-hander. And that's how I got an I got an agent because an agent came to see that see that. Thank God. Nice. So, what year would that have been, Edinburgh wise? That was two thousand three. Okay, so you, right, so within three weeks, you're like, oh shit, I need money. That's a big for me. Yeah. Um, like, I need cash. How did you afford Edinburgh back then? Uh, bribery. I did actually spend my well, I, I, I spent my savings on Edinburgh, and then we actually broke even, so I got it all back. Nice. Okay. So essentially, what happened was you had a showcase. You guys showcased yourselves and put yourselves out there in that yeah, yeah. period. And amazingly, it actually worked. I suppose when you look back, I look back now and go, of course it worked. It was a show with Greg Davies and Roy Gilbert in it. <laughs> Two of the country's most famous comedians. But not very... then. But not then. Well, no, you, were, no. you were all putting it on the line to like... I made them. I made those guys who they are today. Um, yeah, and then, I, so then, then I still had a probably... I got my job at Nickelodeon November two thousand and four, I think. Right. So again, this a lot of CBBC viewers uh, and, and parents and whatnot who are on the younger side listening to this or who only familiar with like the last you know ten years or so might have no idea about this. And I think to this day, when people suddenly go, "Oh God, yeah, you did Nickelodeon," it does surprise quite a few folk. Mm. You were on Nickelodeon. Yes. <laughs> yes, I was. Yes, you were. What was your first gig with Nickelodeon? Uh, well, because this was back when Nickelodeon, I'm presuming, presuming Nickelodeon UK was itself like a, a, a production. Yeah, they used to make a reasonable amount of stuff for a satellite channel that not all that many people were watching. Um, but it blew up. Well, Nickelodeon blew up in the states in the late '90s, early 2000s, didn't it? Like yeah. it really became sort of that anarchy, you know, the, the kid-friendly version of counterculture kind of. We don't follow the rules. We're doing this and doing yeah, that. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, it was very it because well, it was before YouTube had come along and stuff. So yeah, Nickelodeon was considered like yeah, all the cool naughty kids watched Nickelodeon, um, and and yeah, they just they sacked all the presenters. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing so well. You're all fired. They got my, they got a new guy called John Donaldson. He was from yeah, <laughs> he was from CBC and. Uh, yeah, he took a dim view of anyone who was there before him, so he sacked them all. Oh my god! Had some auditions, got got me in. I was thoroughly unsuited to be on children's TV because all I was doing was like really rude stand-up for adults. Um, I was really bad at my audition. Don't know why he gave me the job. Um, and then they got a couple I, I of think that, as well. I think that's the the sort of following thought from anybody for anyone who's done an audition ever. So don't yeah. worry about it. They, they, you would have done something, and they would have gone, "Oh, hang on, that and that, right? Now, come on, we'll get him in." Well, he was a strange man, John Donson, because he used to do things like he. The reason he got me 
infant audition, he told me a couple of years later, was that, quote, your showreel was the worst showreel I'd ever seen. Because <laughs> it was shot by my by my, by my uh, wife at the time, who'd had a few drinks on her camera, and it started with static, and then a wobbly camera shot by someone who'd been drinking too much, and then static again. It was just me standing in this dark club in Edinburgh doing stand-up. And my agent, without telling me, had been sending copies of his people. Oh, God. So, Which, I mean, I suppose is something an agent should be doing, just yeah, maybe not. after saying, Ed, maybe editing it first. One. <laughs> so apparently he put it in the video, burst out laughing at how rubbish it was, and instantly got me in for an audition. Brilliant. And, and he used to do things like that all the time. Like, he gave a job to somebody simply because they were called David Cheeseman. <laughs> and he gave a job to another guy simply because he had the name Garfield Carrot. <gasps> I mean, I would. I'd hire that man immediately. <laughs> Yeah, I, that, that you know, it's it's decisions like that that make me half. I've never met him. Was it, was it John Dobson? John Donaldson. John Donaldson. Yeah, he lives in Australia now. Oh, fair enough. They don't have podcasts in Australia. You never hear it. <laughs> they don't have much over there. They try to, but every time someone reaches to the app to download something, a spider shows up. And they go, oh, bloody hell! Yeah, to wait another week. It's a very dangerous country. It's horrible in a way. But I, that's the sort of like decision making that makes me half hate every fibre of his being. And half think he's a mad genius. Yeah, I I like to go with mad genius because he <laughs> gave me a job. <laughs> suck up. Uh, he's in Australia. <laughs> you don't yeah. suck up, it's fine. <laughs> they don't have podcasts there. Or, you know, um, winter. So, what was the first gig at Nickelodeon? Uh, it was called The Crunch. Right. Which was like glorified, what we call presentation. Linking in and out of the shows. I think this lot might be vaguely familiar with that term by yeah. now. Oh, okay. A few episodes in. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it was called the, it was called the Crunch. Uh, uh, it started off as a breakfast thing, like the Big Breakfast. Had a lot of people on it that used to work on the Big Breakfast. We had a little studio off Carnaby Street. It had a slide in it. We used to come down slide at the beginning. Woo, hello, welcome to the Crunch. And then we used to get four kids on, play games with them, uh, just play kids' endless episodes of Sponge or Squarepants. Where did that end up going? Nowhere. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so we did that for that was on that was on for two years, and then a new boss came along, and then they started only doing stuff in the holidays. Uh, so I did a thing called Me TV, and another thing called Slime Across the UK. That rings a bell. Got to go to the Kids Choice Awards in LA one year. That was quite good fun. Damn. Saw Justin Timberlake. The other people. Quite exciting. What did they so, smell yeah, like? What does he smell like? I don't know. He was hanging from a massive blimp in, a, oh, in an really? arena at the time. Oh, okay. But yeah, we were rep- reporting on it, you know. Uh, yeah, no, it was, all, it was like, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I was basically, it was three days work a week every week and I just felt like I'd died and gone to heaven because I was on the telly. Because my only ambition in life really was ever to be on the telly. That's about as far as it went. And so I was on the telly. So as far as I was concerned, I'd definitely made it. <laughs> was, was that a... Uh... Like, not to suggest remotely that you're a shallow man, but was that a fame thing or was it more just a, I want to do that, oh, I'm here, great, I've done it? Yeah, no, well, it was more it was more to do... Good, because if it was the first thing, I'd shut the camera off and yeah. smack you. And then I'd shut the microphone off. No, it's genuinely... It, it, um, I just want to live forever, Chris. <laughs> and for it to be preserved. I don't ask for much. I just want to be engraved into the memories of a generation. Yes, that's all I ask for. Yeah. You know, with me, the you, could thing, do, you could do that by becoming a famous murderer. That's, to be the, fair. that's the route others go down. <laughs> I chose children's television. Who's, who's to say which is the correct path? <laughs> I suppose we'll only ever really know by the end of our lives when we look back and reflect. 
Oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't have killed all those people. <laughs> I could have dressed as a <laughs> as a comedy chef. Had custard thrown over me. Oh. That would have been much better. What, what was I doing? Um, Sorry, Your Honour, I was having a moment of reflection. <laughs> Where were we? Um, so the crunch, and then that rolls into eventually. What was the big following up one? It's the wonderful world of weird. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, I was lucky enough that somebody working at Nickelodeon also worked at the CBC and she persuaded me to pester somebody with my showreel <laughs> and then I did a casting for this thing called Wonderful World Weird. Talk to this man! Yeah. He goes down slides and smells just in Timberlake from a distance. He'll be great at this. This is showreel. <laughs> it's the worst showreel I've ever seen. <laughs> we must get him in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sent him the same one. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't send them any more Nickelodeon stuff. <laughs> just just me in a dark basement in two thousand three. Uh, yeah, wonderful world, weird. That was a weird. That was that was wonderful. That was <laughs> weird and wonderful. Yeah, that was filmed in Elstree, I think. Yes, that's what, the one where they film EastEnders. Yes. Yeah, which I does now. I'm assuming. Yeah, that's Elstree, isn't it? And I got to which meant we got to raid uh, Outward Square in our lunch break, which was quite good fun. But yeah, it was filmed in a massive studio. I think we had like a hundred kids or something, fifty kids. Running around the studio, and they like they it was Jake Humphrey, Otis, and Lizzie, and they gave like they gave presentations to kids about stuff, and then the kids had to run around the studio um, and stand next to the person who thought they'd given the best presentation or something. And I was like the ringmaster, didn't get a second series. <laughs> <laughs> but even so, you would so the ringmaster was the ringmaster a character, or was it sort of heightened version of yourself? Um, yeah, well, I got to choose my own costume, so I just thought, oh, I'll go with that. And I was I was going to wear a different hat every episode, and then so at vast expense, I got to go to the BBC costume department and choose out, like, choose 30 different hats or however many episodes you made. And then um, and then on the day, I decided actually they were all a bit uncomfortable, so I just wear the top <laughs> hat instead. to the top. <laughs> these massive, these massive boxes of hats turned off. I was like, oh, actually, I'm not going to wear them. That's <laughs> because they turned around and went... I think we've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Which guy's this again? Oh, no, it's, 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 it's the basement. When I look back at it, I was like, basement showreel guy. I was really bullshit about stuff sometimes. With no like, because I was very close to just being back in that railway station, handing out flyers again. Like they offered me the press job once, and I turned it down. For real? First time. Around that yeah. time? Yeah, because I did one for World of Weird. That finished. Then I went back to Nickelodeon for a bit, and then they got me in for a meeting in like May two thousand and seven or something, and they said, "Will you do?" Prez and I said mm, let's have a look at it and they took me down to the studio and it was all like green screen at that time just to present yeah it. it was it was the last version of, of CBC presentation prior to the office starting yes. so it was just at that point a, a green or blue screen in a room and it was Gemma Hunt standing in front of this green screen looking like she was presenting the weather and I just looked at her and I thought oh you look terribly lonely and, um, and it looked really hard work as well because you're just standing there in front of a green screen for minutes on end with nothing to, no props or anything to... Now to work with. Get your hand, yeah, nothing like, to work um, with unless, unless your gallery and, and the production team are like, let's do something experimental, you have not much to go off of no. in that situation. And I, I just thought, oh, that looks like terribly hard work. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, would you like to do that? And I was like, no. <laughs> Good day. Yeah, literally. And <laughs> you tipped your 30 hats yes. and left the room. <laughs> So when did the call come around again for for what would inevitably be the, the ongoing gig? So then they rang me a couple of months later, Alistair Hughes. It was, his, it was He was the boss of the president at the time, lovely man. He's a lovely man. Lovely Scottish man. 
I never got to work for him, but I would regularly see him at Radio City and be like, hello! He'd be like, oh yeah. He'd be like, who are you? Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave me be. Like, oh, and, uh, I'm the one that killed the characters! Oh, he's gone. No, he's left now. No, he didn't actually. No, me. Oh, you! I was the one who Oh, yes, yes, we won't fall. Listen to episode four, it's not. So carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they got back from a meeting like a month or two later and they said, what would it take you to want to do this? So I was like, well, I'd like to have like stuff to get my hands on and props and things. Nickelodeon made a big, this big studio full of stuff lying yeah, around. And you opened every time going down a slide. Like, yeah, even we that were, alone was like, hey, we're here. Yeah, and if anything ever went wrong, you could, because we were live three days. We did two pre-records and three live days. So it, when you're on live TV and something went wrong, you could just dive behind you and there would be a tennis racket or a bucket of gloop or yeah. something to mess about with and have some fun with. Someone to interact with even. Like just someone else yeah. on camera to, to you know, bounce so, off of. Which I guess, I guess they haven't proposed to you yet when this meeting happened. No, the idea so, that you wouldn't be alone. I mean, I'm getting, my memory gets absolutely appalling as I get older as well. So some of this <laughs> might just be lies, but... <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is the way it happened. That's but fine. They said Every, that. Everyone you've spoken to now lives in Australia and won't hear this. It's yeah. fine. And then, and, then, and then a few weeks later, they'd given, I think they'd given what I'd said to the head of development, a guy called Joe Mace, and he had come up with a brilliant concept, which was uh, the CBC office, because he, like me, had very vivid memories of his childhood, and he remembered being fascinated by his parents going to work, mm-hmm. and he thought that kids were fascinated by offices, which I think was quite a good insight actually because as an adult you go oh offices are boring but you go well no as a kid like where your parents go to work is actually quite a fascinating thing yeah. so he had this idea of like a cartoon office and drawn on the diagram was a office plant cactus mm. with a Mexican hat and they, he said oh I'm thinking of this being the puppet and it would be like a Mexican cactus and then I was like it'd be funnier if he was from Bracknell <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and thus the yeah. seed of a legend was planted and then we started auditioning puppeteers um, with, a, with a producer called Paul Giddings uh, I think we saw quite a few puppeteers it was like 10 or 12 because it was quite a hot job to be going for at the time because mm. again YouTube hadn't come along or anything so this was you know proper live TV it was, some of it was even on BBC One yeah back, in, back in the day to get people to because it was all part of the big rebrand so I'd been part of the big rebrand at Nickelodeon where they'd sacked all the presenters and changed everything. And, <laughs> and kicked them out and brought you in, and yeah. then this place kicked everyone else out and brought you in. Well, no, they did. It was, it was awful. So when I started at CBC, it was, I was part of the big rebrand of the channel, uh, of a channel again. So they redid the logo, they sacked loads of presenters. So I turn up for my first days at work, and I'm like, woohoo, yeah, this is brilliant! And everyone else is looking like they're at a funeral because their friends have been sacked. And, <laughs> and then the BBC was sacking the third of their workforce at the time as well, so... <laughs> There were some really depressed people around. I was having a great time. (laughs) They call you the wrecking ball. Yeah. Human wrecking ball. (laughs) Just come in and take a dump on everything. Be like, ah, it's mine now. I've rubbed my legs on it. You know know me, Chris, though. I'm very tactful and um, (laughs) don't at all trample on other people's feelings. So it all went very smoothly. (laughs) But I've got to say, it was quite a rare opportunity thinking back to how that process went based on, on my experiences and, and such going forward, that they were like, no, we, we would like to talk with you. What 
would you change? What would you do? What yeah. would make you want that? that? That seems like quite a rare occurrence. Well, I think it's the right way around of doing it. I mean, the only problem was that it meant that all the other presenters who came after me were lumbered with what I thought was a good idea. <laughs> so it was a custom-built environment for me. It was your playground. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily custom built for some of the other presenters who came afterwards, you know. Maybe they thought it was a bit weird presenting next to a massive office filing cabinet and Well, I think again I think that was a stationary cupboard. <laughs> I think I think that that sort of because we're going to we're going to get into what happened next to the mob, but I think I think that is proven by the different pairings, the different team ups that followed and and the, any, anyone who presented within the CBBC office era. It is quite um obvious that unless you buy into the surreal oddball nature of it it doesn't quite work the way that Ed and Outcho worked yeah and we had a whole bible we had a brainstorming yeah. day where we went out in a cafe in Camden with the all the people on the production team and we spent the whole day doing this like bible of what was in the office um and we did some other days as well I've got Greg Davies in he did a brainstorm day with me and the producer he he helped us come up with the idea of the beast that lived in the stationary cupboard and all this stuff. So we had pages and pages of like, you know, what was in the stationery cupboard. The filing cabinet had like infinite space inside it, and you could have like, you know, you could find anything in there. And we had all these rules and regulations about what you could and couldn't do, um, which was great for us because we did it. We presented it solidly for a year, so we knew that universe like inside out. But then when other presenters came along, well, we'd be watching got stuff back and they'd forgotten. And... Well, yeah, we'd be like, no. You can't walk that. If you walk that side of the stationery cupboard, you go back in time. <laughs> you can't turn left. Get it right. <laughs> that lever doesn't do that. You swipe the yeah. trap doors. That button. Incredibly restrictive <laughs> for other people. Because other other people that uh, followed on from you guys was uh, was Holly and Dunstan. Yeah. Dan and Jeff. Yeah. Ben and Kieran for a while. Oh yeah, Ben and Kieran. Yeah. Um, Sam and Mark did some cover around yeah. that period London as well. London and Chloe. London and Chloe. Um, some. Person called Chris at some point. Um, yeah, Dodge yeah. Dog and Ian and Hacker. Like I, I would argue across the CBBC office era, the only two teams that really kind of worked in terms of fit that world spot on were Ed and Outcho and Ian and Hacker. But again, it was different approaches. Yeah, well, I think what uh, it was think... a world you guys had made, and they were almost like babysitting it. And as such, that vibe came from them. The idea they were just kind of dossing a bit. And yeah, well, they, I think they very sensibly. They, they didn't try and mimic. No, they jettisoned everything we'd done. <laughs> so they they decided to. Um, so in the same way as actually when we were redeve- when we were redeveloping the CBC office, we had the, the head of development had a big thing. What has CBC Pres done in the past? Let's do the opposite. So he had like a flow chart, and he was like, "Okay, they they just talk about the programs constantly." And so, so we will hardly ever mention the programs. Oh God! <laughs> so there was he, he was just like, "I want it completely different." Um, and that I, I think amazing. that's kind of what Ian and Hacker <laughs> did after a few months as well. So we used to quite heavily script stuff. We we would all we'd always like have a plot going on through the afternoon, which is something we used to do at Nickelodeon to try and stop the kids turning off. You'd have a little storyline going on, which I come completely back. agree with. Yeah, um, yeah. And I have had people say to me that that was the reason they carried on watching. So it did work, but but um, people in charge never Ian and tended Hacker, to notice just, that. Yeah. <laughs> It's a shame. Yeah, well, yeah, because you had to be there at the early brainstorms and stuff to understand what it was we were trying to do. So then people come along later and they're like, "Why are you trying to tell a story about a cat just getting married? <laughs> just introduce the programs, you self-indulgent idiot!" <laughs> well, like, no, no, no. It's actually, it's actually a scheme to to keep the children watching so they come back after the episode. Well, that's uh, hello. 
Come back. Please, please don't sack me. I mean, that, that that's always been my philosophy since I started there. Because I was born into the post-Edda Doucho era, but it was the same sensibility. Like, And we'll get into um, when we teamed up in a little bit. But like, uh, my philosophy for it has always been, nowadays, if a kid wants to know what's coming up next, they press the I button on their remote. Yes. What you should be doing is keeping them there. Yeah, yeah. And and whether that's stories or a really daft, really fun item where even if they're not getting involved, it's one where they're like, oh, I want to see what they're going to do with that one or something. And you need need to do something that's that's weird and wonderful, which Ed and Outcho started. So (laughs) you audition your puppeteers. Oh, yes, going back to all that. You suddenly meet Mr. Warwick Brownlow Pike. I do. Um, Did he have an audition and a recall or was it like, oh, you've got it, you're in? Yeah, he had an audition. So Joe, the head of development, he had had a heads up from Dave Chapman, who used to do Otis the Aardvark, mm-hmm. who'd worked on a show with him called Space Pirates. So Warwick was his assistant on that show, and he was like, you want to watch out for this guy, he's really good. So in quite a biased way, Joe said to us, this next guy is supposed to be really good. <laughs> anyway, he came in, and he was very good. Um, not what I was expecting at all, either. He was really young. He was like a good five or six years younger than me, at least. And... Bit of a wide boy. <laughs> he, grew in, he grew up in Bethnal Green and never left Bethnal Green. To the extent that he had never been on a bus. I found this out a few few weeks after working with him. He, he lived in the East End all his life. Never been on a bus. Never been on a train. And thought you could catch a tube to Glasgow. Oh, God. <laughs> so, and he'll tell you those are all, that is all truth what I just said. Uh, so he was ingrained in East End. like Oh, so there. East End, yeah. But, the complete opposite of me. Uh, <laughs> For you and, are uh, West Said. I was it a good solid year? Did you say? Yeah, first I was under that, that desk, staring at my knees. I had one. <laughs> I had one week off in a year, and we had two days off. For, three days off for Christmas. Yeah, we had three days off for Christmas. I had one week off, and the rest of the time we were on for a solid year. Apart from one day when I woke up and I couldn't get out of bed. I've and, heard about this. Yeah, and I rang the producer. And I said, this is really weird. I'm so exhausted. I can't get out of bed. And he, he went, oh, all right, just stay there. We'll do without you. And Outcho presented the afternoon on his own. Yeah. <laughs> and was... I watched it at home going, what have I done? Because obviously he doesn't speak English. Because this, this this was Guy Lambert that day, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. Because I remember hearing about this because the, the story as it was, was an email from you was sent to Outcho in the first link. Yes. And he read it out when it was just a close up of the, the monitor behind yeah. the desk. Saying that you were picking up like his relative for the next day's content or whatever. Yeah, I watched it thinking this is some of the worst television I've ever seen. <laughs> and I went in for work the next day and Warwick was like, oh, it went really well. I was I, like, well, of course you'd say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> it was just you on the screen. I, don't, I, I kind of admired the, the balls on, on that world and how it existed at that point and the, 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 the investment people had in yeah. you and Outcho. That, it's like, that it was they really could like get away a... with the last link just being, if I remember correctly, him sleeping <laughs> for a minute and a half oh and eventually the camera pans to the monitor and just says back tomorrow at 3.30 <laughs> that's the last link I mean it fits the tone what it should have said was Ed's having a borderline nervous breakdown <laughs> we've completely overworked him Ed's at home nearly dead because I did make life really difficult done? for myself because at Nickelodeon I wasn't involved in the brainstorms and stuff so when I, I started at CBC I lied and said that I was and I wanted to do brainstorms every morning. Because what the presenters used to do was they weren't involved in writing the scripts. They just used to have to watch some of the programmes so they knew a bit about them. Get acquainted. Turn up, do yeah. it, go home. Whereas I wanted to be involved in all the writing meetings. So I used to be there for the morning brainstorms. Then I was supposed to be watching the programmes and stuff as well. Then doing all 
promo stuff and then on air every single day but I'd never missed a writing meeting because I've just been a massive control freak about the whole thing because it was really nice to have this toy box at your disposal well, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say control freak necessarily in a negative way I think it's a level of investment you and like the team around there and Warwick you guys saw the potential of what this could be I think there were many people in the office who would say it was a control freak <laughs> was a control freak uh, that may be very nice of you to say that but, but it, it's, I think there's a difference between um, sort of the, the uh, being a control freak and being passionate about it and and sometimes it, sometimes it can you know put you at odds with people people might be a bit like god he's a bit thingy about this so he's a bit overbearing there it's like yeah but ultimately is it because he cares about what you're making oh, we that's do. more important to we me do care. we care I mean some may say we cared too much <laughs> I mean we turned down a lot of other work in that year because after about three or four months all the bosses were like oh this is going well I guess the ratings must have been good and stuff. And then so then they started trying to get me to do, like they wanted me to present smart. And I said no, because I was like, because we were enjoying ourselves so much. Yeah. But I'm getting, I'm getting to come in every day, decide what weird stuff we're going to do in a couple of days time. Oh, it was amazing. Watch a bunch of things so that I don't sound like an idiot pretending I know what I'm talking about. And then spend an afternoon in a cartoon comedy world. Yeah. It's not a bad way to spend your nine to five. Oh, or as it was like sort of 10 till seven. Yeah, as far as I was concerned, it was absolutely living the dream. But it, it always had this reputation as this is where you start your career and then you move on to better things. So they kept offering us like the better things. And we were like, no, I don't want to do that. We want to do this. We really, we wanted this or a sitcom. And that was, yeah, all, and that like, was all we were interested yeah. in. And then we got about seven or eight months in. They came down from Scotland and pitched this excellent... <laughs> Who's movie. they with a capital they. T? Well, it's, uh, it's Louise Corbett, <laughs> she was called at the time. Marvellous woman. And her assistant, Natalie Moss. And uh, they pitched us what the show that was going to become Ed Nowitzki's Excellent Inventions, and we were like, "What? It's a science show?" And they were like, "Yeah." We're like, "Oh, we don't know anything about science." No. <laughs> <laughs> Good day. <laughs> and then, and I think they then they tried to persuade us again. Yes, yes. Tipped my thirty hats. And then, then they tried to persuade us again, and we said no. And then they rang up Joe because they knew we got on well with him, and they were like, "Please tell these idiots." They're like, "We're offering them a TV show." And then he had a meeting with us and he was like, guys, I really think you ought to take this. It could be a really good opportunity. Um, and so we made it as much like a sitcom as we could because that's what we wanted to be doing, really. And then, yeah, we did end up doing two series of that. And then the production team I worked with, we ended up developing all over the place. And we got 10 series out of that. So basically, if I hadn't had that conversation with Joe, I would have lost 12 years of work. <laughs> Probably a good job you had that conversation with Joe, yeah. really, in a way. yeah. Excellent Inventions did it did lean more, I think, in terms of the entertainment value into the comedy rather than the educational. It was not not educational, but I, I don't think people remember it necessarily for the inventions. I think they come away remembering it for the weirder sides, the fact that you two lived in your own little weird was it like a Volkswagen? Um, yeah, bus. Yeah, we all just looked like we were borderline homeless. <laughs> we always loved failure. I think a lot of British comedy comes from you know just being on the edge of being destitute, you know, if you like. <laughs> Pretty much. at any moment just totally spin out of control. And we, yeah, we love the idea of just living in a cardboard box. <laughs> Things have been hopeless. <laughs> you had it easy on that, I'd say. I'm not I'm not putting down any of the hard work you did, but you weren't crammed into pianos or... I had it easy. <laughs> stuffed into... No, stuffed into Warwick, Warwick had it easy. <laughs> so he was... He was... Right, all he had to do was sit in a... Granted, uncomfortable box with his script, read it, go, <laughs> and then go and have a cup of tea. 
I stupidly decided I wanted to play all the characters in it. Yep. So I was <laughs> taking work away from the other. Yeah. <laughs> the other honest, hard-working comedians yeah. who had to give out flyers at the train stations. So instead. I was having to work with the kids, <laughs> learn loads of stuff about science, which I knew nothing about. You get a word wrong, the whole thing doesn't make sense. So I was having to learn all these scripts, constant costume and makeup changes for all these different characters I was playing, um, and also stupidly in the first series chose. I chose my costume to wear and I chose Converse and a thin long sleeve t-shirt. It started filming end of September. So Perfect. So Perfect I was, weather for so that. So I was sitting yeah. around outdoors in November <laughs> in like a long sleeve t-shirt <laughs> and Converse going, oh God, I'm going to die. I can't feel my feet. Warwick's got a nice warm coat on. <laughs> anyway, because he's classed as an actor, I'm classed as a presenter. He gets repeat fees. He ends up earning like four times as much money as me. What's all that about? We went into the wrong job, basically. We're doing three times as much work as him. Puppeteering is obviously the way to go. Not that there's any tension or animosity or anything. No, no he's fine. He's fine. We like, <laughs> we like winding each other up about it. I was living the dream. I mean, would Excellent Invention Series 1, Ed, have been better off with the, the kind of the script and location filming powers of, of All Over the Place Series 10, Ed, for example? Because you can, you can, like... Just drop that out now, like spieling off information at a rate of knots and putting on costumes and filming about five items in a day. Do you think if you'd gone back and done that series now, it would have been easier to to get through, or do you think it still would have been a bit of a challenge? No, I think it would actually be harder to make that show now because it was me and Warwick. Well, yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> yeah, me, me and Warwick were so excited about finally having our own TV show. Like this was once we got underway, we were like, oh wow, this is actually. It felt like the first thing. I was going to make that had any longevity because all the, everything I'd done up until then had been live TV pretty much, apart from Wonderful World of Weird, which nobody seemed to like very much. So I was aware that I wanted to make this really good. But you had the hat, Ed. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As a result, we put crazy hours into that show and we worked so, so hard. And I'm not sure I'd have the motivation to to work quite like that now because I'd be like this is not acceptable <laughs> can we some, not... some nights you're getting like four or five hours sleep at night and the, can, the can hours we we're putting like were crazy three week extension to the end of the run and, and just take our time filming some of the character stuff please for yeah. the love of Pete but I know I know how to make TV programmes now I didn't so much back then that was the start of your relationship with Richie Webb as well wasn't it your, your intertwined working history yes with the music man behind such classic kids programmes as Horrible Histories and of course all over the place. Well, Horrible History started at the same time as Excellent Inventions. Mm, yeah, um, the first series is um, weirdly different from the, the four that followed it um, when you watch it back. Horrible Histories is really strange. It looks very studio shot and, and all this, whereas from series two onwards they realised they had a hit and it was suddenly like HD yeah. and shot very differently. But it, they, they were, it was concurrent, wasn't it? Excellent Inventions and Horrible Histories. Yeah, well, I so don't know Richie's writing the music for that and uh, Horrible Histories... And mongrels as well, I think. Oh, did he? I yeah. I used to get quite competitive about who who started using Richie first. Was it us or them? <laughs> and then I found out he'd actually been doing music on CBC since Live and Kicking. <laughs> oh, right. So he was there long before any of us. He's amazing because he's, he's 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 a musician and and you know sound recordist and this and the other. He's also the lyricist. So pretty much all of those songs. Did he have a hand in writing all of the? Excellent Inventions. Yeah, he wrote all. He wrote the title music for Excellent Inventions and All Over the Place, and he wrote all the songs in them as well. So we, I was doing a song recording with him the other day. We reckon he's written at least over 150 songs just for me. I'm the person he's written more songs for than anyone else. That's mental. Yeah. When's the wedding? Yeah. <laughs> he is a lovely man. I do love him. 
Almost physically. <laughs> Almost. You've been in small rooms with him, shouting his own words back to him. He's great. Poetry. Guy, he's poetry that he written, he's written for you. He's wonderful. I love him to death, and I, I keep forgetting every time I see him to bring a small hard drive with me and be like, so if I give you that, can I have the complete Horrible History Series 1 to 5? <laughs> and the chunk of all over the place, please. Because it, 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 they're so well-crafted, those songs, and the, the information he manages to convey in them it makes it so much easier to perform them without going on, oh, being yeah. bogged down in all the educational stuff. Because it's just so well... It's that fine balance of, of comedy and music where the educational side isn't overbearing. It's just a funny song. Yeah, and by the it. end of it, you learn something. He nails it every time. Um, there's only there's only one problem, and that is that I love his voice and the way he... That's his voice yeah. in the whole history's titles, in case you're wondering what he sounds like. And every time he sends you the song for the show and you're learning it listening to him I love I love his style and love the way he does it so when I go in the booth I'm just trying to recreate what he did on the song because he does it he does it the best it's amazing so you can only ever ruin what he's what he's done because he's a better singer than me I feel like I'm he's funnier than me I feel like I'm committing sacrilege when I have to record over it like record my part for it because you sort of go no, you're right like his is yeah. like the style's perfect and it's because it's all come from his brain and his mouth and his fingers and yes. his equipment and all that stuff so Ed Naucho Weird characters, strange setting. Any particular links or characters that stand out to you as something you're really proud of? Uh, well, I, I used to love doing Ted Mitri, which was my <laughs> alter ego. God, I haven't thought about him in a while. Yeah, it was yeah. just just me with a fake moustache. <laughs> and a leather Ted jacket, Mitri. come on. <laughs> and I don't know why he had this voice. Because the idea was we'd been to school together. <laughs> Ted Mitri, yeah! He's actually making the sound peak, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that down for Ted a little bit. Oh. Um, <laughs> so Ted Mitri was always getting the better gigs than you, and and just pipping you to the yeah. things you wanted. And the idea was he still had no, even though he'd been to school with me, he had no idea who I was, <laughs> despite having a near identical name. Oh, hang on, hang on. He's flying over now. That's Ted. He's oh, here. I forgot to tell you, I live in the past. That's the Spitfire. <laughs> Ed requested specifically we record beneath an airfield. Yeah, they might not even have picked up that. They might just think we're insane. Oh, no, I actually asked for a fly past. <laughs> oh, Can right. you see the vapour trail in the oh, sky? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it says, we love you, Ed. Oh, Big banner. <laughs> just wanted to impress you, Chris. So yeah, Ted Mitri. I love Monsieur Pamplemousse, the French chef. <laughs> yeah. I used to enjoy playing him. And uh, I, I'm actually married to a French person. And on one of our first dates, I showed her a clip of Monsieur Pamplemousse on YouTube. <laughs> And, and uh, she went, um, it's been lovely. <laughs> and to her credit, she only, I think she eye-rolled and that was about it. Um, and I've been playing borderline xenophobic French characters ever since. <laughs> you do tend to get the occasional French character. Well, I, 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 my belief is that Pomplemousse canonically died because we did sort of kill him off during our run. The last Pomplamoose, he was dropped down a trapdoor, his own trapdoor, by uh, Rufus Hound. Oh, yes. And was left there to rot. Yes, he was our guest, wasn't he? Because he was doing um, <laughs> Hounded, was it? His show? Yeah. On CBC? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Another one that was like one series and then nah, it's done now. It yeah, then, like, yeah no. when, when we were presenting together, yeah, he had a trapdoor and he used to, <laughs> we used to get people to fall behind the desk, didn't we? Yeah. It was all very sinister. It was all, I mean, that's, I was saying to you before we recorded that that is, that's one of my favourite items I've ever worked on. Uh, ever in yeah. anything CBC related because it was just such an absurd thing it oh, was yeah. us crammed up against the cabinet, filing cabinet with a set in front of it yeah 
on the smallest sort of shot possible on camera three. That's my favourite stuff, which actually is kind of what people do on YouTube now, isn't it? Yeah, well, just yeah. like a celebrity guest, weird prank, like, and there's a formula to it, but you know, you kind of tweak it each time. And but it was just the idea that you get these guests sometimes from the show, sometimes like much bigger than the stuff on the channel who just happened to be there because they were at news that day or something, and we booked them. It was just the weirdest. I think the highlight for me was Ainsley Harriet. Getting Ainsley Harriet in to record two. I don't even remember that. It's because we churned them out, that's oh, why. Yeah. Have I met Ainsley Harriet? You've met Ainsley Harriet. <laughs> he came in, he recorded two on the same day. We recorded one where you dropped him. Um, and then in the second one, he climbed back out covered in spaghetti. And he's got, he, he almost got away and then you drop him one more time. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> Is it and, it, and then, in fact, Pablo was references him in his last appearance. He's he down was, the trapdoor. He's like, "Oh, oh hello, Ainsley Harriet." It was his last words on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I remember John Tarode from MasterChef. John Tarode and Nadia Sawala. Because yeah, John Tarode bursts in and went, "Oh God, I remember this." He bursts in and goes, "After you drop Nadia through the trapdoor, he comes and says, Where's Nadia? I want my tea.'" Oh, <laughs> Just yeah. like, what's he doing? <laughs> what did you say that for, John Tarode? <laughs> strange. You weirdo. <laughs> strange man. <laughs> not, I mean, I'm not weird, obviously, with this massive fake moustache and dressing gown. <laughs> and shouting at you in, in my loudest uh, Marcel, Marcel, you know, the um, thing, Kenny Everett voice. The thing that annoys me, right, is I wish we'd had smartphones a bit earlier because I didn't get an iPhone till end of 2009. <laughs> and uh, we, and now you just take photos of everything, photos and videos of everything, don't oh, you? God, yeah. Well, think, I mean, uh, why have I got a photo of me with Ainsley Harriet? It's why? A, it's a lot more lax in the last couple of years. Think about the sort of stuff you'd just be putting on Instagram for a laugh, like during the day. Yeah. Just Instagram story, like, oh, by the way, we're doing this today. Um, when I was at Nickelodeon, I met. So many celebrities. I had to interview like Jim Carrey, Patrick Stewart. I've got Tom Cruise to birth into a jar. I've got virtually no evidence of any of this stuff happening. Oh, God. Live presentation, folks. Yeah. <laughs> like, it all goes away in the end. Well, that's, that's, that's what I was saying about it. That's why we got so excited doing Excellent Inventions because I suddenly realised, oh, this might actually have some longevity and people might actually, you know, be able to watch it when I'm dead. <laughs> Wow. Okay, that's deep. <laughs> oh no, I literally said that to the to the producer as we were filming it. I said, "What would happen if I died?" And she said, "Oh, we couldn't put the show out." And I went, "No, oh, no, please, please do." <laughs> it's the monkey dust conundrum, isn't it? Like the main guy behind that passed away, and then they never released series two and three uh, outside of iTunes for a couple of years, and then even iTunes. Harry Thompson, I think so. Yeah, he was my old boss at Talkback. On, I think it's all over. Um, a lot of the writers on Monkey just protested after the BBC made that decision to not release it. Oh, because he, he would have. Why would he not want people? Of course, to see he would have wanted it. Yeah. Put it out there. Yeah. The only way to watch series two and three now is on YouTube. It's the only way to do it. It's the most. It's, I mean, it's the most offensive animated mm. thing that's ever been on TV. I think. Like, of course, of course, he wouldn't have been offended. <laughs> He'd want people to see the damn thing. Yeah. Um, God, he was. He was an amazing man. He was. What a great boss to have. Anyway. So when an out show go away to do uh, excellent inventions and, and then you come back for one more run. The final run of Ed and Outshow was Christmas 2009, which was you guys consistently for about a month, every afternoon live, bar I'm assuming Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and maybe Boxing Day morning. Um, that was the year of the yeah. Kiki D. Well, no, actually, no, because no, we did stuff. one series of excellent, we did excellent inventions mm. three months, then we came back to press. Came back for press. For another nearly a year. And then we went away to do Excellent Inventions again. Yeah, and then we came back. Oh, no, and then we did Transmission Impossible before Series 2 of Excellent Inventions. Oh, gosh, you fit quite a bit in those gaps. Yeah, that was that was our... Yeah, we got dead excited about that because we'd been big fans of the bungalow. And then we got off at this Saturday, the, what was the last kids' show on BBC2, I think. 
the, the last live Saturday morning show. I think so, yeah. yeah. Maybe Live and Deadly um, was on after that, actually. Oh, yes, I think it might have been. I think, I think, I think Basil, Basil Swap Shop. No, it was after that. And then Live and Deadly might have been on. No, we were after Basil Swap Shop. Oh, there was another series after Transmission. Was there? Yeah, one went out um, oh. during my first summer, I think. Oh, well, well there goes my apparent claim to fame. <laughs> Yours was the last one in a blimp starring the talking cactus. Yes. So, you win. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. Were you miffed that that didn't get a second run? Uh, yeah, we were, we were really pleased with that show. And, I mean, we had a lot going on, so we didn't, we didn't like, wail and gnash our teeth too much about it. But uh, it was kind of a victim of circumstance, because they were moving up to Salford... So the exec producer left the BBC, the producer left the BBC, the head of CBC left the BBC. <laughs> so everyone associated with the programme left. We went away for three months to film Excellent Inventions. We came back and the new head of CBC was like, transmission what? No. Oh. I went for a okay. meeting with him and then realised he had no idea what it was. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, that's not coming back, is it? <laughs> Uh, is this is this the meeting where you were told, oh, this excellent inventions is good, but it might need songs? And it's like it's got a song in every episode. Oh, is that something I whinged about? <laughs> you told me about that once. Really, it was, it was you given some feedback on it, and it was the feedback was put songs in it, yeah. <laughs> which means that whoever had had whoever you'd had the meeting with had not watched the full episode <laughs> that they'd been given. They obviously watched like five minutes and gone yeah. right. I get the gist. Well, the trouble was I'd made life for diff- <laughs> I'd made life difficult for myself anyway because they'd said to me in two thousand eight, "Do you want to go up to Salford?" And I said, "No." <laughs> I just decided I just wanted to stay in London. So originally they wanted me and Outro to move up to Salford and do Prez up there. Oh, in hindsight, that's but very that's why early. they started building the up. Move, in... The move didn't happen until late twenty eleven. Uh, so they were either yeah. they were either well, expecting delayed. you guys to stick around for quite some time, or yeah, it was a delay. They were supposed to get there in like two thousand and ten or something. Um, and there was, <laughs> oh, they even showed me the studio plans. They had it all planned out. There was going to be like a glass studio on the corner of uh, of the dock, and the mm. idea was that the public would be able to come along, and, like look in while we were recording and stuff. And they had the outro all like sketched out in the plans and things. But I was like, don't want to live in Salford. No! <laughs> so uh, that's why they started investing quite heavily in Ian Hacker when they got their one. Because they're like, these guys will move. I mean, one of them cannot wait to get back to the Northwest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of them will be slightly nearer his original home. Exactly. But by that point, it works out like, well for yeah. everyone. Yeah, well. And then, I, and then uh, yeah, after that. Don't it? But you do that final stretch. Did you. Did you think for a second that was probably going to be it for Ed and Outro, like this is it? No, we had a, a series commissioned. So we'd had a brainstorm on the last... Because Excellent Inventions was such a killer. It was so hard to make. We were like, we can't make another series of this. We're all dead in our feet. So we started <laughs> brainstorming ideas for other shows. And so we came up with Ed and Outro, go to America. And the premise <laughs> was, it was basically us sitting in the brainstorm going, how can we go to America? And so the idea was we would do like a road trip thing. Ed and Outcho eat a lovely cake. Ed and Outcho have a spa weekend. Yeah. Let's, let's go up with these intriguing ideas. I really think the characters would go on these given, adventures. You know? Ed and Outcho get given lots of money for no reason. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch that to be fair. Yeah. I'd watch the show based on that premise. Yeah. Ed and Outcho have been given a million pounds and a day to spend it. Yeah. What happens? Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was just a shame. Yeah, wage for it. It was a shame to just go to America. And uh, and so the idea was it would be like a road trip, like the Muppet movie had been that me and Warwick were obsessed with. Hey. And that um, we'd be going to an event. So at the end of every episode, there would be 
this crazy event that we were trying to get to. So there'd be a bit of actuality at the end where Aucho would sign me up for cheese rolling or whatever. <laughs> or to go down a ski slope in in Nevada or whatever. Um, and so we pitched that to the boss, um, Damien Kavanagh. And he was like, yeah, I love that idea, but how about Ed and Aucho go around the UK? <laughs> and we were like, oh, it's not America, is it? And he was like, yeah, let's try it out in the UK. So, so it's all in production. You're looking at it as a stepping stone in a way, like, right, we'll do this one, yeah. we'll have a laugh, we'll make as best as we can. And he told us if it was good enough, we could go to America. And then we'll do so we yeah, like, oh, okay. it. <laughs> so, and we, made the, we shot the pilot and everything, uh, and then Warwick got offered Dodge the Dog, and that was a year-long contract. So this Ed and Outro around the UK show was only about three months. So Warwick, understandably, took the year-long contract, mm. which left us without a puppet. Because he'd just come off the back of Mongols Series 1. I think he well. had, yes. Yeah, so it was, it was that. Because it, 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 that's, again, something that we've talked about in past episodes is you, there's no guarantee guarantee of uh, longevity or, or, or work that, you know, oh, yeah, they could is more than a few months. So it is a careful balancing act to take. So you totally get why Warwick went for it. But yeah. if I remember correctly... I'm still furious, obviously. <laughs> So the working title was Ed and Outcho's Excellent Adventures. Ah, yeah. on brand. In a so way. then they dropped Outcho, so it became Ed's Adventures. Uh, and so had... I remember there were there were talks. I remember you saying at the time there were talks of how to fit him in, be it some stuff shot like separately or like manage Warwick's time off so that he could do a certain was amount there? of shooting. Okay, that's my Swiss cheese brain doesn't remember that. <laughs> got, I only remember that because I remember there was talks of BBC Scotland trying to acquire the rights to Outcho just right. outright to use him for shows oh. and not going know. anywhere. <laughs> just not going anywhere because uh, I think presentation were just sort of like, no! It's like, are you going to actually have yeah, a meeting you, about this? Or, wouldn't have no! Been... He's ours! <laughs> you doing anything with him? No! <laughs> he's having a great time in that cupboard. Yeah, he's, he's loving life! <laughs> Staring at Hacker's arse. <laughs> he's having a great time. <laughs> yeah, well, he wouldn't have very, very quickly all over the place because then, then it became Ed, Ed goes around the UK with a woman. <laughs> Because they wanted more women on the channel. Working title. Yeah, the woman and the woman who was suggested by David Kavanagh, he he suggested my brother's girlfriend, not knowing that she was my brother's girlfriend. So Holly Walsh was then my co-presenter. So then Outro would have, wouldn't have really fit into that anyway. So and Holly Walsh, we, like of course, to CBC viewers at that point would have been familiar for being part of Holly and Dunstan. She presented on the channel. Yes. Um. So, but she'd gone CBC away. Connection. So Damien, Damien, when he become head of CBC and replaced the lovely Anne Gilchrist. Uh, I don't think he ever had any real knowledge of that Holly had been on CBC because she'd let she left like a year before or something. Um, so he he was recommending her because he'd seen her on Channel Four, I think, on the TNT show with Jack Whitehall. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so well, because I, I knew Holly from from doing BBC Three and Channel Four stuff at that point, right. more than more than Pred, but I, that era of Pred had escaped me. Yeah. So when you well, said, "Oh, doing Holly Walsh," I was like, "Oh right, yeah." Well, you say that, but part of the reason I got the job was because I was watching um, throughout late college and early uni during hangovers. On Saturday morning, <laughs> the channel. So I was vaguely aware of everybody. When yeah. I first did my audition, I walked in, they went, you're doing it with Hacker, and this weasel pops up from behind the desk. And I was disappointed it wasn't the cactus. Oh. So like, I, I was I was aware. But for me, Holly was sort of adult telly, which I guess kind of lended a different vibe to what All Over the Place would become. Yeah, well, they, well. Were trying to, they, wanted, yeah, they wanted All Over the Place to have a slightly aged up feel. You might watch it with your parents and whatever. Actually, but people did that with their Natch anyway, didn't they?
Are you looking for nerdy news, geeky gossip, and something to occupy your time on the long and winding road to your inevitable death? Then do we have the pop culture podcast for you? The Big Damn Cast is released for free every Thursday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Hosted by the majestic Man Mountain Matt Watson and his adorable boyish sidekick Chris Yonko Johnson, Big Damn Cast is your one-stop shop for movie news and reviews. Big Damn Cast, the only pop culture podcast on the entire internet. Don't don't fact check that because it's true. For those of you listening to this episode toward the end of August and the start of September, hello! Thank you for being early birds. But secondly, I wanted to recommend to you, friends of the show, Sam and Mark are on tour. If you're a fan of any of their work before, then you need to go and see them live. Head to socomedy.co.uk. There are tickets still available for the later parts of the current tour. There is an appearance in Newport on the 27th of August. They're in Paynton on the 28th of August. Exeter on the 29th at the Corn Exchange. And they'll be doing the Curve Theatre in Leicester on September the 7th. If you want to go and see them live, that's socomedy.co.uk. And hey, if you can't support them now, spread the word and the tour will return. Love you, Sam and Mark. Should probably get them on the show one day. Hmm. Amuse your friends. Startle your enemies. Listen to the synth-pop magic of the Pound Shop Boys. Includes your favourites. Fireman Sam. Jamie and the Magic Torch. Shop Boys Nostalgia. It's the ideal Christmas gift. Only £8 plus postage on compact disc. Digital download available too. The Northwest's premier synth duo. Great value. Great fun. Great quality. Yeah, so it went from being Ed and Outro go to America to Ed and Outro go around the UK to... Ed and a woman around. go around the UK. <laughs> then a third of the way through the series, Holly broke her arm, so it became Ed and lots of other presenters <laughs> go around the UK. <laughs> so by the end of it, I was like, this was not the original plan at all. <laughs> well, this series is obviously not coming back because it's been a right dog's breakfast. And uh, yeah, so ten, ten years later, I know. <laughs> and series Nine three, times. we did finally get to go to the UK, uh, the USA. Hurrah! They followed it with Australia. Yeah. Good day. <laughs> Which was better, America or Australia? Oh, they've all been mind-blowingly good in their own ways. The one with the lovely weather or the one with the lovely weather. Okay, fair enough. All of the place lives on. I give great thanks to Holly's arm. Um, I know the arm... Well, she probably, doesn't, because she's got yeah. a little elbow now. I was going to say, I'm sure the arm <laughs> itself would much rather be not... Yeah, she broke like... it on the show, so apologies for that, Holly. Yeah. But you gave work to a lot of other people, so she we're did. very grateful, and we will all buy you a pint. And at least you got an Edinburgh show out of it, which she got a comedy True, nomination yes, for. yes, yeah. She get Holly on. That was literally the only good thing about that. Ask her who she'd so. like to sue. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you've had ten years caught with a case. So, again, it, it, adapting uh, to the different situations and scenarios the way this show did, it's very similar to what you were saying before about how, like, oh, I want to do more of that. I'm going to go into comedy... Like, oh no, I'm going to go behind the scenes, I want to work on this. No, hang on, I've got that book. You've always sort of 
you've 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 never changed. You have a very core style that has always existed, but you've always adapted naturally to the other situations and, and the different shows and the different contexts. Um, do I? You do. You you, <laughs> you do. No, you, you. What's my core style, Chris? It would. All right. Um, <laughs> angry. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> No, no, like anti-aggressive you... <laughs> man on children's telly. No, uh, what, what, what I'm trying to say without uh, digging myself a hole is that y- you definitely, for, for how I feel, approach presentation and, and presenting and hosting shows and things like that from the perspective of a performer first, which ties back into your passion, the fact that you would yeah. be so kind of controlling over certain things because you, you want it to turn out a certain way. You want it to be a certain way. Um, yeah, I always feel like I'm playing a part slightly. Friend, you... A friend of mine said to me once, he was like, oh my God, Ed, I've just seen you on Kids TV. It's like you, but you and you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, oh yeah, that's probably what I'm going for, actually. Do you think that's a, a core sort of skill set that anyone who wants to get what, into being this drunk. world would... Well, <laughs> um, off, the, off the record maybe, but like in, in terms of the people listening to this who want to get into that world, like would you say that is something, that's an approach to try out maybe, Come, approaching it from the point of view of a performer playing a part? I just think it depends whether you're, if that's something you're comfortable doing. Like I was always more comfortable playing a part than being myself, you know, I suppose. Hmm. I think me as myself on Kids TV, I'd just be a sort of, bloke talking like this it's <laughs> not very interesting is it here's who please so, uh, <laughs> I felt the need to inject a bit more energy into proceedings makes um, sense I could, there's but other people don't do that you know someone like Barney Harwood who has had a very a long and successful career in kids TV he's he's kind of the opposite of that he sort of coasts along as a man in control yeah it's, his style's very, much, very kind of like oh it's fine yeah, work out. I think I'm always very much like man on the edge of spinning out of control <laughs> That's what I'm going for, you know. Uh, well, talking about losing control of it a little, um, Warwick leaves, and how do you find out what their contingency plan is for Outro not being there anymore, but you've got another five, six months? Like, how did they present to you? So, oh, they're going to get go, a human in. Yeah, they just go, yeah, they just go, uh, oh, you'll be presenting with this bloke. Was it really that, like, just yeah, yeah, after I'd been cast, they went, so where's your new presenter? Yeah, so completely opposite. <laughs> so, like, with Warwick, there was, like, you know, two auditions, uh, brainstorm <laughs> sessions, weeks of rehearsal. We had about two weeks of rehearsal with him before we went live, you know. Mm-hmm. By the time we went live, I felt like I really knew this guy. Yeah. And we had a good working relationship straight off the bat. With you, I got shown one YouTube video. Oh, And then God. the morning, your first morning, I was introduced to you, and five minutes later, we were on camera. I do remember that. Do you remember? Yeah, well, I don't, think we, I don't think we filmed anything that went out that Saturday on day one. It was a pre-record, was But it? I think we did on day two was the pre-record, yeah. Like, day one, we just did some links in right. studio. It was still stuff that was like, used, though, wasn't it? Uh, no, it was the stuff we filmed the next oh. day. But it was it was that whole thing of like, and in you go. Which, for me, was flipping terrifying. It was well, like, yeah, it was in you bit, go! It was a bit weird for me as well. Do it was the like, thing! And I'm like, but I'm with, I, I mean, I, me not know this room sat next to a man who I know know this room because me have watch man with cactus. <laughs> this make no sense to me. Um, well, I remember saying to you, because I, I mean, when I was on Nickelodeon, it took me a good six months to feel comfortable on camera and luckily it was satellite TV so lots of people didn't see how rubbish it was to begin with. So I remember saying <laughs> I was to, on the CBBC channel, I feel the same. I remember saying to you, like, don't, don't worry, it's, um, you know, it's it's not live, so we can we can do it as many times as you want. And if you make any mistakes, we can just go back and start again. 
you can get as wrong as many times as you like and you're like oh great okay and then the camera started rolling and you were like per- completely professional and got everything right and looked entirely <laughs> comfortable and I thought oh I feel really stupid now and um, and then of course looking back on it you'd been doing your YouTube channel in your bedroom for a few years didn't you a couple of years that so point, of course yeah. you were comfortable in front of the camera <laughs> But I wasn't because you didn't, I, didn't have that in my day. No, I'll, I'll tell you now, it, it meant a lot like to have that reassurance when I first came in. Because again, again, it was intimidating in, in a way because I knew coming from doing comedy stuff and this, that and the other, I knew that like to just suddenly introduce a rogue element can really make everyone just go, right, what the hell's happening? I don't get it. And I was there quick. I auditioned in the October, got a call back in the November, and a week later got told I had the job and I'd be starting in a month. So I can't I can only imagine what it was like for yourself and producers at the time like Chris McGuire and everybody to suddenly have to be like, right, so we need to retool this for a human who's not a small frog in a bucket and figure out how we're gonna do this. Yeah, because it was the first time I'd done CBC without a puppet since two thousand six when we made one for World of Weird, yeah. That was two thousand ten by then, wasn't it? Yeah, it's 2010 yeah. when I started. It was Start good to me, actually, to like, you know, present with a, with some human beings for a change. I could have, if, if, if Outro had carried oh. on too long, I could have just been that bloke with the cactus. I guess. But at the same and now time... now I'm just, that bloke? Who's he? <laughs> <laughs> bloke man. <laughs> but it, it helped me a lot, because I, I, I didn't have any aspirations to present. I, I just wanted to do entertainment and comedy especially, and sketch stuff was my bag. That was the thing I enjoyed. That's I think that's why they sort of found my YouTube stuff because I wasn't vlogging strictly. I was writing them and faking it and putting in these subtle hints of the guy who was vlogging maybe not being a very nice person. and like I, I was laying the groundwork to later on do something slightly more sinister with it. Yeah. So I think they'd, they'd noticed that, oh, he's kind of playing a part here. But also, I, I am not um, blind to the idea. They were probably thinking, oh, vlogger, trendy, let's get him in, even though I, my channel was not big at all. So You were the first vlogger we had on weren't you I guess but I'd mm. say I'd never think of myself as a vlogger because they weren't authentic mm. they were all fake <laughs> I did I thought of you as a vlogger oh damn oh here he is here the he vlogger is. <laughs> Mr YouTube coming in here taking our work this YouTube thing will never take off <laughs> uh, but it helped me a lot like to work with you because I, I settled into that world immediately once I was like oh this guy is I'm also me sketch show man this man also make beat of comedy and characters. And I just, like, settled into that groove nicely. And I'll be, I'll be forever grateful to your girlfriend, because I remember shortly after we started working with each other, we went for a drink with your girlfriend, and you went in some weird ramble about Doctor Who or something. And she went, oh, shut up, Chris. And I was like, oh, right. Oh, that's how you deal with Chris Johnson. <laughs> She's now my full-time carer. Yeah. So, <laughs> it all works out, really. So then, with, with no shame after that, if you were ever saying anything I wasn't the slightest bit interested in I'd be like shut up Chris <laughs> <laughs> thanks sad, Lucy is it sad that moments before that I noticed the Doctor TV <laughs> on the show I was like oh I must ask you about that oh no, no you didn't see that uh, no, 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 no 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 Doctor no, Who no, Tom's last three stories if I'm not mistaken <laughs> and <laughs> given to me by the uh, yeah, old given. Ed Nacho producer Guy Lambert well there you go you now have the death of Tom Baker yeah, to enjoy he, he again he gave again. me the death of Tom Baker I think it was as a leaving present <laughs> He was our longest Ed Nacho producer, Guy Lambert, wonderful man. Guy who settled me into lives as well, because my first live was that figure yes. half turn. And and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And he had the, he sort of had the confidence in me to go, right, not only am I not going to sort of do any extensive prep, I just want you to come in and do what you've already been doing. Not only that, 
every day, because we did the live mornings, it was something really stupid. It was a Valentine's theme. What was it? Heart term. Um, it was something stupid oh, like yeah. heart term. So yeah. he created uh, a scenario where I would be the presenter for the link, which was, again, a baptism of fire, but he had, he had the confidence that I could handle it. Um, and in that link, I encountered you playing Mr. Hate. Oh, uh, yes, that's right. And I, this guy came on and I hated everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I just shouted and ranted. And offered mint Imperials. Yeah. Mint Imperial! <laughs> just screamed at things. And we made you look more and more sort of bedraggled as the week went on. Yeah. And we had a backstory that was never spoken, that you were living in your car. Like, on, on the Wednesday, you'd been kicked out by your wife. On Thursday, yeah, someone had broken in the car. Wasn't and you the were one when I fell from the sky? Like, I'd fallen off a ladder and I smashed into the ground. Yeah, we had the, the, the dummy, in, in, yeah. which was impossible to drop into shot in that small room yeah. without it having to be a really tight shot anyway. It's amazing they let's get away with this stuff. I'd, so I'd, surreal and random. It was brilliant. Well, I mean, for Christ's sake, you then played at Easty, you played a character called Ron Wong. Whose entire story wrong. was just he yes. got things wrong. And that was it. That was all it was. That's right, I mean wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you wrote the scores of the kids because the kids played a quiz with you over the phone, like when they, they had, had to give to, the wrong answer. The wrong answer. Yes. And you wrote the score table on a coffee table uh, with a with a massive Sharpie. Um and then on the last day you just scribbled out the kids' names and declared yourself the winner. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, that was the stuff I lived for in that job. That was the stuff where I was like, I'm so glad that this is how we're earning money today. Yeah. This is ridiculous. I was just biding my time till the the place started. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, I, I think I imagine, we worked together from what was it, January to February, end to, May, early June. Yeah, we started was, filming yeah. the first series of Where the Place, sort of June-ish kind of time. I think yeah, yeah. I think you, you. I think you filmed a couple bits just before you finished. Like, and I was off, and then, then you were off. And you didn't see me for dust. Like a shot. Yeah. Yeah, because in your last link, did you like pack like a signed photo of yourself into a suitcase? Probably sounds like the kind of thing I did. And off you strolled. And it was a really low key last link because it was almost. There was that feeling of oh, like well, you know, Ed might come back after all over the place or something to the study other. And instead, no, off you bloody flew around the world doing that instead. <laughs> um, and then, ironically, I got paired up with Outcho slash Dodge. So yes, you did, didn't you? Yeah. So who did I kill? Is the question. The cactus uh, or the man? Uh, both. Mm. For me, in a way, it gets worse. Thanks, you swipe again. Well, I want to talk to you about all over the place um, and marry mum and dad. Yes. But I want to keep it very brief because I want to get on to the questions. And if anyone wants to see us talk extensively about all over the place, there's going to be a cheeky little video promo uh, on the Patreon for Cocker's Tooth patrons. So you lot keep your peepers peeled. The rest of you, spend some more money! But first, um, All Over the Place and Marry Mum and Dad is an opportunity for you to meet lots of interesting and sometimes genuinely possibly insane people around the world. Yes. Um, Not to kill your darlings, but which show out of the two... Have you enjoyed making more out of those two uh, ongoing shows? Because they would run concurrently. Well, you'd be making one for a chunk of the year, and then you'd go to making the next one. Yeah. Oh, I don't. I, I mean, they're so completely different. I'm really. I can't. Um, I honestly can't choose because they're because the I'd say Marion Mum and Dad is the most life enhancing one because mm. it was really special what we did on that show. You know, kids organising their parents' weddings, and then you find yourself sitting at a wedding with. <laughs> people pledging their undying love for each other and you'd always tear would well up in your eye and you'd be like this is an amazing part of they're going to remember this for the rest of their lives yeah. and the, their great great grandchildren might watch this on whatever people watch content on in a hundred years time you know it's mind blowing yeah. yeah probably yeah 
fire up the brain USB. Let's see how Granny had a wedding organised by an eight-year-old. <laughs> Dressed as a Tyrannosaurus. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that was amazing. And then all over the place was obviously... I was talking to Naomi Wilkinson about this the other day. We were saying, I, I honestly can't imagine a better show to have worked on in television than all over the place. I can't imagine it. Because we've got to travel the whole world, see the craziest people, go to the most famous landmarks, but also the weirdest places you'd never ever get to. I was trying to think, is there a better show to have worked on as a presenter? And I was like, well, Top Gear maybe? I was like, no, even that was like always car related, you know. Every single day at work for us on that show was completely different. Yeah. In the craziest places. It was total mind-blowing life experience. Uh, it's probably ruined my life forever because where am I ever going to do a job like that again well I mean I, I was looking at some of the ads on the way here there's a leaflet thing going on at the train station if you want to go home oh right we oh, split shift we split shift I've got previous I've got previous experience <laughs> I can do that she'll stand me in good stead <laughs> she'll get me all up in this piece um, so yeah I mean I love them both it's, can't say. it's, it's one I was going to say like, I, I'd, I'd be interested to find out what your answer was to that simply because y- you're somebody who likes to learn like, I've always known you as somebody who will always try and take on something new as well over time I remember a couple of years ago, you just casually going, "Oh yeah, no, I'm learning French like fluently." No, nah. I'm just going for it. like between between skits um, and stuff on all over the place. You would just sort of be Rosetta Stoning or have you for like yeah, half well, an hour, and that's, I'm still trying to learn French. So that's for hey, it's, it's you've got a good teacher now. If you can, you can always double check. I'm now training to be a wedding celebrant. Really? Yes. Nice. Well, there you go. This I'm going to marry people like, for real. So you've combined basically the bonus of both things. Yeah, well, because Mary and Dad didn't, didn't come back this year. They're, talk, they're saying it might come back next year, and on the series I would actually be able to marry people. So they could just rename it, We Are Marrying Your Mum and Dad. Yes. Which we are. Ed Marries Your Mum and Dad. <laughs> Ed and some woman that's marries weird, your mum and That's dad. a weird title, Ed and Outcho Marry Your Dad. <laughs> Ed and a woman marry your mum and dad. This is turning into a completely different show. <laughs> Oh dear. Shout out to Naomi, she's lovely. Uh, well, what I'm going to do then is I'm going to move on, sir, because uh, we've got places to be, and it's also the hottest bloody day of the year. I'm really not looking forward to filming this video content afterwards because I feel like. Uh, well, you have to put your clothes back on for start. Well, yes, there is that. <laughs> I'm so um, sweaty. It, it, is, it is a muggy day, so I'll keep these, I'll keep these brief, um, but not in briefs. Josh Hayward02. Hello, Josh says, uh, have you and Naomi ever fallen out with any of the parents that you married in Marrying Mum and Dad? Or, what's the worst thing that happened whilst working on that show? No. Um, I think, I think, I kind of get what they're alluding to there. Like, you know, obviously a show dealing with relationships, I imagine sometimes it's not smooth sailing in some respects. You'd be surprised, actually. I mean, we did seven series, ten episodes a series, so what... Not and then a few best ofs. Yeah, so you're probably looking episodes. at about sixty-five weddings, I reckon. Uh, I'd say there was only one of those where the mum got ner- got nervous and we had to sort of push her onto camera. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. That's what, uh, what was she nervous about? Was it was it the wedding? She the was nervous. Day, or yeah, was she it? was like dressed up in. She had the blindfold on. She was dressed up in the costume. She was starting to feel very nervous about it. She didn't want to go on camera. The director was like, "Mum's not, mum's not leaving the dressing room and coming on stage," and I was like, "And oh, <laughs> I very confidently went, don't worry, I'm very good at this persuasive stuff.'" And, and after about two or three minutes, I was literally pushing, physically pushing her. 
We've tried to push three of the weddings to film today. Come on, this way. This way. There we go. And she was not moving. It took a lot of persuasion to get her on camera. But what she was, she had a great time. Um, but yeah, amazingly, we, we thought there was going to be all sorts of issues with bridezillas and all the rest of it. But once you've once you've got yourself into a place where you're willing to let your kids organise your wedding, you're going to be a pretty cool person. And, pretty chill about the whole thing. Yeah. So it was always fine. Chris Wood asks, trying to come up with a question for Ed, and I've read on Wikipedia, he's the same age as me. You're bloody young looking, aren't you? That's his question. <laughs> <laughs> That's more of a statement of fact. Um, well, ah, no, he did follow up. Oh. Edward Petrie. And I like I, I wanted to ask you about this, and then I saw he'd asked you, so I was like, sure, oh, this was sent in by my mum. That's what uh, she calls me. <laughs> Edward Petrie. I've heard you speak passionately about the terrible content on YouTube Kids and other platforms that is either deliberately aimed at children or watched by them because the platforms do nothing to protect or curate the suitable content. Yes. Um, and, oh, so it's more just a general question, just asking, like, do you think that, that something could, there is an, a fix for this? Do you think there's a method that could work it through? To sum it up, for those who yes. might not know, we're talking about YouTube Kids is the app that is meant to filter and and concentrate all family-friendly content together so that you could effectively hand over the YouTube Kids app to your child to go on and they won't come across anything that is unsightly or inappropriate. Unfortunately, things do filter through. Yes, because instead of having the content checked by a moderator, they have an algorithm that does it, mm. which and means stuff slips through anyway, so it's not actually safe. Which when you So when you've worked in Kids TV since 2004, like I have, and you've been to oh, so many meetings where you're told over and over again about how to protect children, that you, that is not protecting children. So and, and then YouTube's argument is like, oh, well, that will restrict the amount of content we can put on there. And then my argument would be, well, you'll have to restrict the amount of content you put on there then because it's not safe, is it, for a robot to decide what's appropriate? Because, <laughs> yeah, and they've done nothing to fix it. I did go, yeah, I banged on about it on Twitter for a bit. I did some radio interviews about it. I wrote yeah, a newspaper article about it. The iNews article, Chris quotes as well, actually brings that one up as, yeah. a, as a point. And then I got bored because nothing was changing. And um, yeah, and they're just still doing it. And I just, I've just gone away. <laughs> so well done, YouTube. You win. <laughs> you win, you giant multi-billion dollar corporation, yeah. swines. I mean, I, I, I remember talking to you about it around the time of the Logan Paul forest debacle. That was what kicked it off. Yeah, I tweeted yeah. the thing about it and then it was probably my only ever viral tweet. <laughs> Everyone got hold of it and started. Yeah, I was like, went. oh God, what have I unleashed? <laughs> Luckily, it was something I did actually know what I was talking about. Yeah, well, it's again, it was, um, you know, uh, it, it's that thing of your care and passion for the format and for the audience itself is there because you very invested in that age group and you know you, you were aware of the dangers that kids can come across in that world so to know that there is something with the word kids in the title that is being completely irresponsible i imagine yeah, that you was said it as kid friendly really, it's got to be kid friendly in it you swines you get um question for ed says sean's puppets about the ed and outro era did it take a long time to get used to presenting opposite a puppet and not only that but a puppet who doesn't speak english um, this kind of challenge, uh, presenting setup must have come with a lot of unique challenges. How really? did you How did you handle your first time with Warwick on camera? Because uh, you said you worked with puppets before, but now it was you having conversations with a cactus yeah, and we'd speaking. Had, we'd had the odd one in Nickelodeon because there was a puppeteer called Dave Taylor who was also a producer there, so he used to do a bit every now and then. But yeah, it was the first one that didn't speak English. 
because Anne Gilchrist, who's there at the CBC, didn't like puppets that speak English. <laughs> that was the reason why. I want them to squeak, darn it! Yeah. Squeak and nothing more! So we told Warwick that he had to invent his own nonsense language, and he just did it from the off, and he was really good at it. So I thought it was going to be really difficult and complicated, and it wasn't at all. Because uh, he did it so well. And the thing was, we'd always, we got very good at, very quick, very quickly we got very good at We'd, have to, we'd just have a very quick chat beforehand about what was going to happen in the next minute or two. So it'd be like, oh, let's so let's just have it that, you know, you love bananas, I love shoes, and we have a big argument about it. <laughs> and that's all you need to know. And then you can fill about a minute or two. He can just say, oh, nanny. And then I'd be like, well, of course, bananas aren't bigger than shoes. And I can basically just make up whatever he's saying. So I'd just make up whatever he was saying. I'd get little snatches of what he was trying to get at. Yeah. I mean, there were lots of instances where he's literally shouting in my face with what he wants me to pick up on and I haven't picked up on it at all. It's just not happening. You're like... Yeah. I'm, Very frustrating I'm sorry, Warwick. I'm just unfamiliar with that v- verb or sound that you're in making. Cactinian. <laughs> but I mean, I liked the power dynamic. It worked very well, I thought, because I think sometimes a puppet that speaks English can dominate in the double act. Yeah, whereas... Like, especially You've got to be a very good presenter with Hacker, not for Hacker to, to take over the show and it's the Hacker show. Yeah. Because, because not only is he a lovely puppet who's grabbing everyone's attention, he speaks English and he's really good improvising as well. Yeah. So as the presenter, you've really got your work yeah. out. <laughs> but when you make sure the puppeteer can't speak English... <laughs> It's a, the suddenly it's a 50-50 split. You know, the kids are looking at the puppet. Oh, he's nice, but they can't really understand what he's saying. So they rely on you to translate. So you've got more of a, a reason for being there and you can hold your own a bit more. So. so what he's saying is you got used to him by putting him in his place. Yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend it if you're in a double act. Make sure the other one can't speak English. <laughs> oh, God. Might be where they hired me. They're like, this guy talks a load of bollocks. Let's get him in. Yeah, basically. There's another beep. Question for Ed, says Lego Bookworm. How did you decide when was the right time to leave presentation? And have you found that being Ed from Ed and Outcho has affected your career post-CBBC? Uh, well, so, yeah, I mean, there wasn't much choice, really, because I didn't want to go to Salford. So. Yeah, <laughs> so it was more... Okay. Well, I guess that was you deciding it was the right time. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to go there, so when it's time to go there, I won't go there. It was moving up to Salford, <laughs> and I didn't want to live in Salford, so that was that. Hey, I resemble that remark. Uh, <laughs> Isn't it? Salford's a lovely place. No, it isn't. I had... Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> It's, uh, it's uh, the bits you see. Are. It's a medi- <laughs> splendidly mediocre place. Yes, um, but yeah, I have my own personal reasons. A lot of reasons. KFCs. Uh, yes, no spon- they're not sponsoring us, but if they'd like to, water. Don't lots of expanses of water. Yeah, if you like that sort of thing, you're a fan of that and um, the things that turn up in it. No, I'd, I'd like. I've got my wife's French, and it's nice being near France down here to get to her parents and stuff easily. My parents live on the south coast. I value my family and friends as much as I do my work, so that's why I didn't go out there. It's not Salford. Also, I also I thought London. I, I thought, haha, that's where they make all the big TV shows. So obviously, my I'll be presenting <laughs> the one show in two years' time. Nope, still here on CBC. And <laughs> um, do you do do you find the Ed and Outro Association then something that is difficult to deal with when going for other work, or or is it more of a no, not at all. Is it, is it more of a weapon in the arsenal? No, yeah, definitely the latter. Because I think it would have been a problem if I'd carried on doing that for too long. But because I've done 10 years all over the place, you know, seven years of my mum and dad, I think I've, I've, uh, a producer or anybody else would see me as somebody who's capable of presenting mm. telly on his own or with another human being. So, uh, yeah, I just see it as a lovely period of my 
personal history. It's more highlight in a way. I guess because it, it, it's, it's the, the Philip and, and um, Gordon kind of thing of it was sort of two-ish years. Yeah, not long, was it? And it's very fondly remembered. Yeah, we're a bit like that, aren't we, really? Yeah. We were first on camera September 2007, and then you, we did our last live link January 2010, I think. But then obviously they repeated Excellent Inventions quite a lot after that. Mm-hmm. It was in an alt. I mean, I'm in a quite nice phase now where like, I was in a Weatherspoons the other day and this guy served me went, Oh my God! And then he jumped over the counter. He goes, You're the reason I studied science at university! And I'm like, Oh, really? Oh, that's nice. I mean, you're working at Weatherspoons now, so maybe that didn't go so well for you, but. <laughs> it's a stopgap. It's yeah. a stopgap. Don't discourage him. It's a holiday him. job, probably. Don't discourage him. Take his sketch of an invention. Yeah, he's probably working in a nuclear reactor now and everything's going great. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so there, I get nice little moments like that that pop up every now and then, and I'm like, oh, that's lovely. So uh, it was all good. The awesomest, hello, uh, asked what it was like being on TV without you for the first time. We've covered that. But they also asked, they sent in two questions cheekily, which is good, because then we don't get a repeat. Out of all the locations you visited through the course of all over the place, and then they put in brackets, has it really been 10 years? Which has been your favourite and why? Uh, Mongolia, because I get to show off about it. <laughs> That's that's what you travel the world for, isn't it? Just to show off. Pretty much. Be Do like, you know anyone's been to Mongolia? No. <laughs> I, I have. I was me. there for a week with Ben Shires. <laughs> Dressed as Batman and Robin. Yep. Uh, no, that was in, <laughs> was, uh, oh, no, that was, uh, was in Malaysia. Malaysia. Yes, that, that was, was the that was the that was the post India uh, everybody's not feeling very well portion yes, of that we shoot. Food poisoning, yes, <laughs> the cameraman collapsed. Let's go hang out with bats in the jungle. Yeah. Whilst wanting to cry. Oh no, I've got rabies. Um <laughs> Oh, yeah, Mongolia. I mean, that's good, isn't it? That's pretty decent. Mongolia. Ridiculous. Also, living in Australia for nearly four months was quite an experience because they couldn't shuttle us backwards and forwards. So we filmed in every single state in Australia. And the interesting thing about that was I learned that I don't want to live in Australia, yeah, which was quite good. Because all your past uh, bosses live there. And, uh... Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello, John Donaldson. What are you doing here? Going to be rude about my showreel again, are you? <laughs> Have the spider. <laughs> ah, enjoy. Um, well, I'm going to call it there for now, young squire. Thank you so much. But I want to let you uh, take the floor because I think people need to know about at least two upcoming things. Uh, one related to the Commedia dell'arte that we touched on before uh, and the other being a certain web project. Well, well, I'm doing panto, everybody. In, uh, in Kettering this Christmas. So if you live near there, get yourself down to the Lighthouse Theatre. Is it a lighthouse? No. Oh. It's not even by the sea. That's a stupid <laughs> name for theatre. But anyway, <laughs> go there. But uh, And I'm also very excited because I've been working without Cho again. What? Yeah. What? Yes, Chris. I refuse to believe it, despite the fact that we spoke very briefly about it before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we thought we thought we wanted to, we wanted to celebrate our 10th anniversary. And then we didn't get ourselves together enough. So then we were going to make some videos to celebrate our 11th anniversary. And we didn't quite get them done in time. So now we're releasing some videos to celebrate our 12th anniversary. You know, that anniversary that everyone likes to celebrate. Yeah, it's the, the pewter anniversary, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, nice round number, that one, isn't it? The kinder anniversary. Something like that. So yeah, we've made five <laughs> YouTube videos. We're going to stick them up on YouTube uh, almost 12 years to the day when we first appeared on CBC together. So Monday, the 2nd of September... We're going to put out the first one. It's going to be Ed and Outro Week. And we're going to put a video out every day. Just as a little little thank you to fans who still remember us. 
fondly or otherwise. Yes. Those people live in Australia, though, so it's funny. Well, if they're fans, I assume they do think it was funny, don't they? It's true. Can you have an angry fan? Who do... Well, yeah, it's the majority of fandom. Yeah. yeah, it's the majority of fans. <laughs> <laughs> I shall throw your copy of The Gopolis out the window in yeah. disgust. It was a lot of fun, it was a lot of fun to make because we finally got to do the actual sitcom that we always wanted to do, finally. We do it. They're only like little four minute videos. Micropilots. Yeah, and we filmed them around where I live in South East London and, uh, and all the stuff that we always enjoyed, just like, you know, life being terrible and things going wrong. We just packed it full of that. So <laughs> there's real misery and despair in those videos. <laughs> and a lot of laughs as well. So, misery and despair from the yeah. 2nd of September. Look on forward YouTube. to that, everyone. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. Check out the trailer. We made a trailer. Uh, is yeah. it out there in the oh, world? Go find it on that YouTube. Yeah. Oh my good guys, do it, do it. You find all sorts of things on YouTube. When's this going out? Uh, in the future. Oh, yeah, August sometime. Might have been and gone by the time they listen to this. No, it'd be pre, it'd be pre, it'd be pre. Yeah. It'd be pre. I'm nothing if not early. What? Well, who knows? Maybe if, if we get loads of hits and everyone enjoys watching it, they, we might Netflix might give us a movie. Hint. Imagine that. Hint. You could you could travel across America in that film. Well, funny enough, we did have a we did do a movie pitch. Okay, I'd like you to tell me about it. I'm going to stop the recording, though. You look go away. Just leave us now. Goodbye. Out of the Broom Cupboard, episode three featured Ed Petrie as its guest and was hosted by Chris Yonko Johnson. Follow Chris and future Out of the Broom Cupboard exploits on Twitter at OfficialCDJ. Same on Instagram. And you can also keep up to date with Out of the Broom Cupboard and its many, many updates at OOTBC on Instagram. Special thanks to our Patreons for making this episode possible. Your donations pay for the travel and coverage, as well as the hosting for these episodes. If you want to help, patreon.com slash OOTBC is the place to be. There's plenty of perks, and I hope you get a kick out of them. Next month, we're joined by Warwick Brownlow-Pike, the man behind Outcho. And don't forget, the Ed and Outcho special series will be out on YouTube in September.